Well, hi, Bridgeway. So glad you could join us for worship this weekend. It's been a great service so far, and I'm really excited to get into God's Word with you. If we have not met, my name is Brian Kiley. I am one of the pastors here, and I actually have one more quick announcement before we get into our teaching, and that's this. We just, as a, as a staff and leadership, we're just constantly trying to think creatively about how we can minister to you and encourage you in the midst of just all the crazy stuff that's going on in the world. And uh, one thing that we want to be able to do this week is uh, one just one co- subject that we're going to cover in the teaching is just this idea of thankfulness and just this this idea that God calls us invi- and invites us to be thankful people. Well, we recognize that there's a lot going on in the world that could sort of fight against uh, a sense of thankfulness, and we just want to encourage you this week with some devotional thoughts that we would love to deliver to you over text message about cultivating thankfulness. So if you want to go ahead and text the word thankful to the number that's on your screen and it's also in the chat wherever uh, you're watching this on any of, across all of our platforms, we would love to just be able to text you each morning this week a really short devotional thought that you can use to help cultivate thankfulness this week. So once again, the word is thankful and that number is on the screen uh, or should also be in the chat across all of our platforms and would really encourage you to take advantage of that. We are in part 18 of our series called Connecting to Church through the book of Ephesians. And I have titled this weekend's message, More Than a Feeling, What the Holy Spirit Produces in Us. And I just want to begin with this thought. Uh, There is a peculiar practice that we engage in as Christians that if, if you've been in church for a while, you may be so used to it that you've sort of forgotten how peculiar it is. And you might be thinking, wait a second, a peculiar practice for us as Christians, do you mean to say there's only one? Um, no, there are many things we do that are a little bit peculiar, but there's one in particular that I am thinking of, uh, and it's this. It's once again, it's something that we do, and I think a lot of us, we don't even think twice about it. But it's something that is just not that common in the rest of society. And and that peculiar practice is this. We gather together to sing. And you might be saying, gather together to sing. Of course we do. Of course we gather to sing. But but I just want to point this out. Where else in your life, outside of church, do you gather with non-professional, non-performing adults to sing on a regular basis. Uh, we might sing, sing along at concerts or events like that, but there just aren't a lot of places in American society where, again, groups of non-performing, non-professional adults gather to sing. It's a little bit of a peculiar practice. It's something that we do in church and that, it, that happens in religious settings, but it's just not that common in the rest of our society. Uh, I remember when I was a freshman at UCLA, I was a part of a Christian fraternity. And at one point during my freshman year, we had a sorority on campus approach us and say, hey, we'd like to partner with you to create an act for an upcoming musical talent show on campus called Spring Sing. And I remember we asked them, we said, well, why do you want to partner with us? And in the back of our minds, we're thinking, we're not exactly on the top of the social hierarchy here. And their response to us was simple. They said, you know, we know that you know how to sing. Now, they did not say, we know you know how to sing well. But what did they know? They knew that there was not a fraternity on campus whose members sang more often than us because we were in church. It's, that's something we did. We sang. Christians are singing people. And why do we sing? 
We sing because the truths of our faith are so glorious and wonderful and magnificent that when they are rightly understood, they are too great to merely be spoken. They must be sung. When the Spirit of God takes up residence in us and opens our eyes to the reality of who God is, to the reality of all that Jesus has done for us, it awakens in us a desire to respond. And one of the ways we respond is through singing God's praise in worship. There are over 150 references to singing in the Bible, and I looked at all of them this week, and I just want to share a few of them with you as we get started. In in Exodus chapter 15, after God led the people out of Egypt, Moses led everyone in singing and said this, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, David leads Israel in worship and he says, oh give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous works. And later in that same song he says, sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of his salvation from day to day. Singing is part of how we proclaim God's salvation and what he has done. The book of Psalms that is found in the middle of our Bible is, of course, a book of songs. It has been called the church's songbook. So it's not surprising that there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 64 different references to singing just in the book of Psalms. At the conclusion of Psalm 13, one of my favorite psalms, a psalm that's actually mostly a lament, The psalmist writes, but I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has dealt bountifully with me. In Psalm 21, singing is a response to God's strength that says we will sing and praise your power. Singing, of course, is a key way that we express our praise to God. And in Psalm 30, it says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you saints, and give thanks to his holy name. And there are numerous other examples we could cite of the psalm stirring us up to praise God and to thank him. In Psalm 63, singing is a response to God's protection. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing For joy, the text says. In Psalm 71, singing is a response to God's redemptive work. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. Our soul rejoices and sings in response to God's redemption. Psalm 89, another one of my favorites. Singing is a way to make the glory of God known. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. It says, with my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. And then Psalm 105 says, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. And there are so many other examples just from the Psalms that we could cite. Throughout Isaiah and many of the other other prophets, singing is a response and a, a response of praise and thanks for God's deliverance and protection and victory. And then there are so many places in scripture where we are instructed to sing to God. But in one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, Zephaniah 3.17, it says that God actually sings to us. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. 
He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. In the book of Acts, there's a scene where Paul and Silas are in jail, and it just says that they're praying and singing hymns. Even in their suffering, they wanted to praise their God. James, the brother of Jesus, says that singing is the proper expression of good cheer. He simply writes in James chapter 5, verse 13, is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. And then, of course, in the book of Revelation, there are scenes in the heavenly throne room where the angels are singing praise and, and lifting up God's name and proclaiming his holiness. Singing, the Bible makes clear in so many ways has been part of our faith tradition from the beginning. It will be part of our faith for all of eternity. And it is a vital practice for us today. It is a crucial element of the way that we practice our faith as followers of Jesus. It's crucial, crucial for our discipleship. And my hope is that as we examine this passage today that has so much to teach us about what's going on when we sing, that it might cause us to rethink our approach to singing when we sing in church, that it might make it all the more meaningful and all the more transformative for us. Last week, Pastor Lance walked us through Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And in the verse that he covered, it said this. It said, and do not be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And in the first half of that message, Pastor Lance walked us through some helpful principles that can guide us as we consider how we as Christians can engage and should engage with alcohol or think about that subject. And then in the second part of the message, he talked about this concept of being filled with the Spirit. And he helped us all see, I love that he talked about this, he said we're all full of something. The question is, what are we full of? And I love what Pastor Lance did is that he contrasted this idea that we can be full of selfishness where all we care about is ourself. And one of the ways that manifests itself is in drunkenness. It can be in other ways, obviously, but that is one way it manifests itself. We can be full of self and selfishness. Or we can be full of God, that God can be the one that is influencing us. And that is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And he contrasted these two things. And these two things would have been, would have been very known by Paul's original audience, what Paul is saying in the passage is he's saying that if we are being drunk with wine, that that produces a certain set of behaviors, namely debauchery. And this would have been very familiar to the recipients of Paul's letter in Ephesus because the Greek god Dionysus, who was the wine god, had a wide following in Ephesus. And as you can imagine, times of worship to the wine god got a little bit out of hand. And what Paul is saying in the verse is he's saying to his, his audience, as he would say to us today, instead of being controlled by alcohol, instead of drunkenness where you're being controlled by a substance, fill yourself with the Spirit. Drink deeply of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And then in the passage we're going to look at today, he says, and when you're filled with the Spirit, this is the sort of thing that happens. See, the subtitle of this message is what the Holy Spirit produces in us. And in this passage, we get a list. It's not an exhaustive list. This isn't everything that happens when we're filled with the Spirit. But what we're going to see this week and next week 
is a list of behaviors that are produced when we're full of the Spirit. In the same way that drunkenness produces debauchery, when we are filled with the Spirit, the natural overflow are the behaviors that Paul is going to talk about in these verses. And the behaviors that he talks about relate specifically to worship. And even more specifically than that, they relate to this idea of worship through music. Now, it's important to get the order of events here correct. This isn't Paul saying, now do these things and God will draw near to you. Do these things and you will be filled with the Spirit. Perform in this way and you'll have a connection with God. No, no, no. He's saying, he's saying that when you are filled with the Spirit, it produces something in you. That's the order. We, we as Christ followers, we don't do things in hopes of earning a connection with God. Rather, we ask God to fill us with his spirit. And when we are filled with his spirit, it produces certain fruit in us. In fact, if you're following along on the app, maybe I want to give you a second to open that up if you have it handy or if you're taking notes. I want to give you the fill in the blank because it's this. The fill in the blank is worship begins with knowing God. Worship begins with knowing God. When we know God rightly, our only possible response is worship. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit and understand who God is, our only right response is worship. See, we at Bridgeway, we say that knowing God is one of our core values. And we define knowing God as having an intimate, accurate, growing relationship with him. And we believe that when our relationship with God is intimate, that we're, we're close with him, when it's accurate, when we understand him for who he truly is, and when it's growing, when there is a desire for increased closeness, that the response will be worship. That the response will be worship. And I want to suggest to you that if our knowledge of God does not inspire worship, I believe that's a sign that we do not know God rightly. And that was, frankly, that was the condition of my heart and my mind for the first 15 years of my life. There was never a time where I would have denied believing in God, but that, those first 15 years were defined by what I could best describe as spiritual indifference. I believed that there was a God, I just didn't care. A church was much more about ritual and tradition and obligation than any desire to actually worship. And then, then it was through a series of events when I was 15 years old that God began to turn the lights on, where I began to understand what Jesus had done for me, where I began to understand God more accurately. And, and my, my life has never been the same since. My, my heart just all of a sudden was drawn towards him. There was a desire in me to worship and to know him and to serve him. And again, I've never been the same since. If our response to God does not inspire worship. If, we do not, if we're not inclined to worship, I want to suggest to you, maybe we don't know God rightly. I want to illustrate it in, in this way. Uh, twice in my 20s, I had the opportunity to hike to the bottom of the Grand Canyon, and both were just amazing experiences. But I remember on the lead up to the first trip, I mean, I was excited. Don't get me wrong. I'm always up for an adventure, and I'd never been to the Grand Canyon. I expected it was going to be pretty cool. But if you had asked me before that trip, like, hey, what do you think of the Grand Canyon? I would have said, hey, I've seen pictures. It seems great. I, you know, I'm looking forward to visiting. But I don't know that I, my reaction would have gone much beyond that. Well, I'll never forget that first day on that first trip. 
stepping up to the south rim of the Grand Canyon for the first time and looking out over that expanse and being absolutely blown away. Seeing it in person provoked a level of awe and wonder in me that few places have provoked before or since. And I realized, like so many others, that the pictures just aren't quite doing it justice. I want to suggest to you that if thoughts of God do not inspire worship in you, that if there is not a desire to worship in your heart, maybe you've just settled for the picture, so to speak, instead of the real thing. And maybe for some of us, instead of maybe feeling guilty for not caring about the things of God more, or, or instead of just trying to go through the motions of church, maybe for some of us, we just need to ask, God, would you fill me with your spirit? God, would you help me to know you more? God, would you open my eyes that I might see you as you truly are? Because when our eyes are open, once again, when our eyes are open to see God for who he is, the response is not religious duty. The response is not obligation. The response will be joy joyful, heartfelt worship. Joyful, heartfelt worship. Now, I want to make sure we're clear before we get into the text that worship does not equal singing. Worship takes on a variety of forms. In in some ways, much of our lives are worship because we show what we are ascribing value to by the way that we live our lives. But part of worship is that we worship through singing. So in the context of this message, I might say worship, and I don't mean to encompass all of worship with that. I'm referring specifically to worship through singing. So I want to read the passage that we have in front of us, and then I want to go back and make some observations and see what can we learn about what's going on when we worship through singing, and and, and why is it important. So the passage, Ephesians chapter 5, I want to start reading in verse 18 But the focus of our attention will be verses 19 and 20. It says, And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then the result of that will be, you could imagine that phrase being here, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've got five observations I want to make from this text that will help us just develop a better understanding of, of what are we doing when we sing in church. And I'm not going to go through them in order of importance. I want to go through them in the order that they're in in the text. And I'm going to actually spend over half of my time on this first one, simply because out of all five observations I'm going to make, this first one is the one that in my years as a Christian, I have heard talked about the least. And I actually think it's quite important. So my first observation from the text is this. In worship, we are singing to each other. In worship, we sing to each other. The text speaks of addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. (laughs) Now, does that mean our, our lives or our church lives are meant to be musicals where we're spontaneously breaking out in song and dance at different times? Um, <laughs> no, I don't think that's what it's talking about. Um, I was a little late to the game in seeing La La Land. I just saw it for the first time a few weeks ago. Is that, is that what our life, is that what church is supposed to look like? I know for some of you that would be a dream come true, but unfortunately uh, that's not what the text is saying. But what it is saying is that part of what we're doing when we sing 
is we're singing to each other. And that might sound odd to you, and you might even object to that. Like, wait a second, you might say. You mean in worship? No, no, we're not singing to each other. We're singing to God. Like, the object of our worship is God. And I would say, you are absolutely correct. Of course, the object of our worship is God. And yes, of course, we are singing to God, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But an underrated element of our corporate singing, meaning singing that happens when people are gathered together, is that we're singing to one another. We're not performing for each other, to be very clear about that. But we do sing to each other. See, oftentimes, when I have the privilege to start our services and and read our call to worship and everything else, like Pastor Paul did this weekend, oftentimes when I pray, before we get into worship through music, I'll pray these words. I'll say, God, use these songs to remind us of what is true. And I pray that so often, not because I can't think of something else to pray, but because I know that when we come to church, we come in and we've had a week where we've been influenced by all sorts of different voices. We've had a week where we've got all sorts of stuff going on. There's some healthy stuff. There's some unhealthy stuff. We're just being pulled in all sorts of different directions. And part of what we need to happen in the church environment is we need to be reminded of what is true about God. And part of the way that we're reminded of what is true is when we sing. And then when we sing these songs to one another in the presence of one another, what we're doing is we're reminding each other of who God is and what he has done. We are reminding each other of the centrality of Jesus. We are reminding each other of the beauty of worship. I'll give you an an example. One of the most famous worship songs in this millennium is called Forever, written by Chris Tomlin, which, by the way, if you want to feel old, I could not believe this when I looked this up this week. That song is 19 years old. You're welcome. I know that is very depressing. But it's a great song. It's been around for a long time. And here are the lyrics. The lyrics go, and I'm, I'm not a, I, I love to sing, just not with a microphone on my face, so, so we're just going to say them. He says, give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For he is good. He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. Forever God is faithful. Forever God is strong. Forever God is with us. Forever. Question for you. Who are we singing to when we say those words? God is referred to in the third person. So I want to suggest to you that we're not singing those words to God. We're singing them to one another. Now, we might not be looking each other in the eye and singing. That would be awkward and uncomfortable. But we are singing these truths to each other. We're ministering to one another by proclaiming God's truth. This is why congregational singing is important. I mean, there's tremendous value in singing worship songs on our own. I was singing worship songs in my car while I was driving this morning. That's a beautiful thing. But there's something powerful that happens when we're able to sing these songs together. Perhaps a person might come into our worship service and they're discouraged and they could hardly even get themselves here and they're just not even sure if God is present, if God sees them. And they hear us singing together. His love endures forever. And God uses our singing to redirect that person's thoughts out of their circumstances and onto him and they're able to leave encouraged. Singing to one another is a way 
that we minister to one another. I'll, I'll give you another example, a more recent example. So there's a song we sing from time to time here at Bridgeway called Good Grace by Hillsong United. It was released in 2018. And the song goes, uh, and the song goes like this. It goes, don't let your heart be troubled. Hold your head up high. Don't fear no evil. Fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. So take courage, hold on, be strong. Remember where your help comes from. <laughs> See, God already knows all of that. But I sure need that reminder every once in a while. And to be gathered with my brothers and sisters and have us sing to each other, take courage, hold on, remember God loves you, remember where your help comes from. That's powerful. That's a powerful way we minister to one another. When we sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Jesus already knows that, but I sometimes forget, right? When we sing, as we sang earlier in the service, let the king of my heart be the shadow where I hide, the ransom for my life. He is my song. We're reminding ourselves and each other of God's faithful, loving care. Or I think of one of my favorite worship songs right now is King of Kings by Hillsong. And the lyrics are just majestic and beautiful and, and theologically rich. And man, I'm telling you, if you can get through the last verse of that song and not have goosebumps, you need to check your pulse. <laughs> But it's a beautiful song, and what it mostly is, is it's a song sung about God. There's a little bit of, some of the lyrics are to God, but it's mostly about God. And see, in corporate worship, when we can sing songs like that together, once again, we're not performing for each other. But we're serving one another by singing about these truths together. We're serving one another by singing and helping us to redirect our attention onto heavenly things, onto the things of God. When my boys and I sing, Jesus loves me at night before bed, we're reminding ourselves and each other of God's love. When we sing, a mighty fortress is our God, a sacred refuge is his name, we're reminding each other of God's protection when we sing as we did a moment ago, who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. We're proclaiming that truth to one another. It's a way of reminding each other, isn't God great? Isn't he glorious? Isn't he worthy of our praise? I've shared this before at Bridgeway that I just, I just don't have... I don't have anybody in my family older than me who's following Jesus. So in my life growing up, seeing adults passionately worshiping, I mean, I had a great childhood, but seeing adults passionately, passionately worshiping was simply not a part of my experience. And it's just remarkable to me that now I've been a Christian for 23 years, I've been a pastor for 15 years, and still the sight of adults gathered in worship is deeply moving to me. To see that is inspiring to me. It, it, it provokes and inspires worship in me. Is God the focus of our attention in worship? Of course he is, of, absolutely. But if you've never thought about singing as a way that you are serving your brothers and sisters, I hope that this could be a little bit of a paradigm shift for you. That when we sing, we're not performing, but we're ministering to one another by singing these truths. Now, we need to address the elephant in the room, if you'll pardon the cliche. <laughs> You're watching church from home right now. <laughs> Singing is a bit more of a challenge than it 
typically has been. So what do, we, what do we do with that? I think we do a couple of things. Number one, if you're gathered with other people in your household, I realize it's awkward to sing in a small group, but maybe you just do it. You minister to one another by singing, even though I, like, I prefer to not hear my own voice when I sing. I get that. So maybe you just do it that way, right? Or, or maybe, as I've heard Pastor Lance and others say, maybe we just recognize that in this season, as, as the ability to come together in worship is just not as easy as it has been for most of our lives, this is a time simply for us to let God remind us of how special it is to come together in worship. So that when we can come together again, or, or when you're maybe able to join us for a parking lot service, that, that we're just able to recover the specialness of this time. And in the meantime, maybe we get creative. Maybe that's, we can't sing to each other, but we can comment. We can comment about God's blessings. We can comment about God's goodness online. I know it's not the same, but we can get creative. But I hope that you understand that when we sing, part of what we're doing is we're singing to each other. So that's observation number one, and that's most of my sermon. Here are observations two through five. It says that we're singing and making melody to the Lord. So my second observation is this. In worship, we sing to the Lord. Singing that qualifies as Christian worship is sung to God, for God, about God, and tells the truth about God. When we say we sing to the Lord, it means, means we're singing for God's glory and God's pleasure. He is our audience. In Christian worship, there are not performers and an audience. We are all gathered together. Some might be on a stage and have a microphone. But we are all gathered together and our audience is one. We are singing for him and for his pleasure. We're not coming to be entertained. We're coming to celebrate Jesus. The second song we sang today is such a beautiful example of a song sung in celebration of Jesus, a song sung to Jesus. Those lyrics are so powerful where it says, I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. More than anything that I can, more than anything that you can do, I just want you. In Psalm 29, we're told to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. See, that's why we sing. We sing to give God's, God glory. We sing to respond to his holiness, his grace, and his love. And when we sing, we're opening ourselves up to him in a new and fresh way. We're opening ourselves up to be transformed by him. We're reminding ourselves of what is true about him, and we're recommitting ourselves to him. I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes it takes actually singing the words, and the cry of my heart is to bring you praise from the inside out to get me to the place where that is actually true, <laughs> right? And see, when we sing to God, see, we're not feeding God's ego. I've had people ask me that. Why does God want us to praise him so much? Is he insecure? No. We're praising God because he's worthy. And we're praising God because that is what we were made for. And we will find our delight in closeness with him. By making much of him, we accomplish so much of the purpose of our existence because we were made to worship and made to worship him. So number one, we sing for each other. Number two, we sing for the Lord. Number three, the text goes on and it says, we're singing and making melody to the Lord from the heart. In worship, we sing from the heart. We sing from the heart. 
In the ancient world, we have to understand it's a little different from our modern wor- in our modern world. In the ancient world, the heart wasn't like the seat of emotions. Like that's the way we think of it now is we talk about things, emotional things, and it's like, you know, a matter of a heart, the heart or things to that effect. That in the ancient world, the heart was the center of a person. It was the center of all logic and reasoning. So to speak of the heart was to speak of the whole person. So to sing with your heart, it means you believe what you're singing. To sing with your heart means you're responding to what you know to be true with song. It means there is integrity to what you're singing, which means that your life matches what you're singing. God got so angry with Israel in the Old Testament because there were times where they were living in hypocrisy, where they were worshiping and having these lavish worship festivals and then turning around and turning a blind eye to injustice. And the issue here, what broke God's heart is not the brokenness of the people because we're all broken and God invites us in even in our brokenness, but was the hypocrisy was that they were knowingly saying these things about God and then not practicing them in their lives. To worship from the heart means that there is an integrity to what we are doing. It is reflective of the true condition of our hearts and our minds. And I want to just explain an element of what we do that that fits into this really quick. That when we start our services, we have what we call a call to worship. Pastor Paul led us in that today where what happens is we come out and we'll read scripture, we'll read God's truth, and then sometimes we'll pray, or maybe we'll pray, or we just, we do something to kind of begin the service together. And the purpose of that, the purpose of that is we want to hear God's truth so that we can respond. We want to get our hearts ready for worship by hearing God's truth so that we can respond with the heart. Now, I want to be careful here. Because in saying that worship must be from the heart, I do not mean to imply that we can only sing when we're like totally 100% fired up for the Lord. If that was the standard, I don't think many of us would sing very much, right? Sometimes we sing because in our pain, we're struggling to trust and believe. And we sing because we want to believe what we're singing. Sometimes we sing just because we need God to remind us of these things that were true. We need God to help us get the fire back, so to speak. Sometimes we're just having a tough day and half-hearted worship is all that we can do. And maybe it takes three or four songs before our hearts are fully engaged. All of that is okay. All of that is okay. But for worship to be from the heart, it means it engages our whole being. If we sing words on Sunday, but our mind is already at lunch on Tuesday, that's not from the heart. God desires that our singing is not simply words from our lips, but it is an accurate reflection of our hearts. Number four, the text goes on. And it says we are to give thanks in everything and in all things. In worship, we sing with thankfulness in all things. Throughout scripture, we are exhorted to maintain a posture of thankfulness. And we don't have, to have time to, to get into all the different nuances of this. But what we, what we can suffice to say for today is that we are called to maintain a posture of thankfulness. And what worship does is it helps us to remain thankful in the midst of a life that is oftentimes full of sadness and grief and sorrow. What worship does is it reminds us that in all things, God is working for our good. And because that is true, we can grieve from a place of thankfulness. 
We can have deep sorrow and sadness from a place of thankfulness. We need not cover up the sadness and sorrow that we feel with easy answers and platitudes. I think we do more harm than good when we do that. But rather, when we understand that incredible truth that God is working all things, that God is at work in each and every situation, we can be a thankful people even in the midst of challenges. And then in just ordinary life, worship helps orient us so that we live with this sense of thankfulness. Because let's just be honest, there are not a lot of voices in the world today that are encouraging thankfulness, are there? There are plenty that are encouraging anger. There are plenty that are encouraging dishonesty. There are plenty that are encouraging entitlement. There are plenty that are encouraging divisiveness. And you and I have to decide what are we going to be ruled by? Are we going to be ruled by thankfulness or are we going to be ruled by something else? Because if we're ruled by thankfulness, that will result in God's glory and our joy. When we're thankful people, we'll be a life-giving presence in an anxious and angry world. When we're thankful people, we will show God's love and the hope that we have in Christ to a world that so desperately needs it. God calls us to be thankful people. That's a beautiful invitation. And some of us, we need to allow worship to be what turns us from being grumblers and complainers and transforms us into thankful people. Finally, my fifth observation is this. It says, we're giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In worship, we sing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What right could we possibly have to stand before a holy God? What gives us the right as sinful people to, to sing to a, to a holy and mighty God and expect that he would hear? Are we to stand before him on our merits alone? No, we sing because as Colossians 1 says, he has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We sing because we have been forgiven. We sing because we have been saved by Jesus. We sing because of the reality of the gospel that, that Jesus left his home in heaven, that he came down to earth, that he showed us this beautiful thing called the kingdom of God, that he demonstrated what a life fully yielded to God looks like, that he went to the cross, that he died on the cross in our place and for our sin, that he rose from death so that we might know that our greatest enemies, Satan, sin, and death are defeated. He ascended into heaven. He is seated into the right hand of the Father and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We sing in his name. We sing because of our faith is in him. God does not see our sinful imperfection. He sees Christ's perfection. That's a heck of a reason to sing. That's why we sing. That's why we can come before a holy God with confidence and tell him that we love him. So I hope that that's inspiring to you. I hope that whether it's next week as you're gathered watching online or maybe next weekend you might be able to join us for one of our in-person parking lot services. I hope this inspires you to sing. I hope this inspires you just to remember that God is so worthy of our praise and that when we sing, we're telling him we love him. When we sing, it's a reflection of our hearts. When we sing, we're ministering to one another. When we sing, we're being reminded of all that we have to be thankful for. And we do it all in the name of our Savior Jesus. So let me pray for you and we'll be done. God, thank you. 
that the truths of who you are are so beautiful and wonderful that they are, it is insufficient to speak them, that they have to be sung. Thank you, God, that worship comes from knowing you, that you are so beautiful and wonderful and glorious that when we know you, it will cause us to sing. So God, we want to be a singing people who sing your praise, who tell you that we love you. So we thank you, God, that you are worthy of every bit of our praise and more. And I pray ultimately, God, that our worship of you in singing would so form our hearts that we would live every element of our lives as an act of worship to you, that you would be glorified and your people would be loved. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thanks for being with us this weekend. I sure look forward to seeing you real soon. Bye-bye.